0: Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. I love the I love the ability for us to be able to share as a family. Sometimes it's me up here, given things that, you know, obviously it's in the Word. Sometimes it's, it's really important for us to value each other and, and hear from a congregation what God is doing in their lives and allowing them to share in this place. Because we need to hear what you have to say just as much as you need to hear what I have prepared. And God is no respecter of persons, and He says, Hey, I won't talk through anything and everything burning bushes and strange animals and beautiful people. That's the way God works. And it's wonderful that you, the things you were saying because it dovetails into our sermon really well. So we're going to go into, uh, we're going to be in Glimpses of God. It's a kind of continuing series through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I love the Gospel of Mark. I love his uh, stories. And we're going to be in chapter 4, verse 35. Verse 35 says, On that day when he had come, uh, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with him uh, uh, with them in the boat, and just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great, sand, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As a father of a teenager, I understand what fear is, especially when it comes to driving in a car with my daughter. Now, to be sure, she is a good driver. I am just not a good passenger. She, is, she does right for the most part, but it is not fun for me to be in the shotgun seat. It is not fun to be in, that dra- in the passenger side seat while my 16-year-old careens around corners thinking she's going the right speed. And that the following distance doesn't mean that, you know, uh, you know hug the other person's bumper so that I could reach out and tap on their front window and say, hi, how you doing? There is a moment uh, in every parent's life where they sit with their kid watching them drive where you think you're going to die. My mom and dad used to joke that they used to have fingerprints on the, uh, where the airbag is in the passenger side, and they would sit there and go open, 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 open. That there were dents of their fingers on the dashboard when I wouldn't stop when I was supposed to. When you drive with a teenager in a car, it tests how you deal with your own fear of death, about your fear of being totally out of control. There is no parent break, despite what you think. You're pushing that brake down on the right, that phantom brake, hoping the car will stop. And it is all about putting your complete trust in the hands of somebody else. It brings up these emotions of fear. The story is no different. The story is a picture of the gospel, of Jesus coming to dwell with us in the midst of our own lives and saving us when we can't save ourselves. This is a very awesome story where Jesus and the disciples have all just been spending this entire day healing and teaching and doing amazing things. If you go back to the first couple chapters beforehand, you find that that Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law, that he has spent the day by the sea teaching in parables and and uh, expounding things in ways that made people go, "Whoa, who is this guy?" Healing hands and deaths and 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 people coming back to life and and demoniacs being set free, and so Jesus. In his infinite wisdom says, I'm done. Let's go to the other side, wherever the other side happened to be. So they all got on the boat just as they were and they set off across the sea. This is a completely normal thing. It's as if we said, hey, we're done with church. Let's get in the car and go to Noodles & Company. And it's just a normal everyday thing. We just get in and we go. But something strange happened in the midst of this time. Something that it would not really happen to us. It's as if it's a sunny, complete sunny day. And we get in the car and we're on our way to Qdoba or Rubio's or wherever it happened to be. And a snowstorm popped out of nowhere. But not just this little snowstorm, but one of those torrential once in every ten years sort of snowstorm that drops like hundreds of feet of snow all at once to the point where chaos is reigning. Well, that's kind of what happens in this boat. This wind comes and whips up the sea and there are waves crashing into the boats and the sails are no longer working and the men are rowing and bailing and it is a terrible, terrible thing. Death is on the way. This isn't some little squall. This is one of those things that sailors know that if you're in one, you're doomed. And just like normal people... They began to bail water. They began to do all the things they know how to do. But they got to a point where it wasn't enough. They got to a point where it wasn't enough. And they go into the back looking for all hands on deck. And they see the one person they need the most at this time. And Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. One of the most odd pictures you'll ever see. And they yell at him, get up, get up, get up. We need your help. Don't you care? We're dying. And Jesus, maybe slumber-eyed, kind of yawned a little bit, stretched His arms and hollered at the sea and the wind. And they stood there dumbfounded. Crazy, crazy scene. The storm tells us a little bit about you and I. It tells us about uh, the disciples' mortality. You see, the storm, like I said, was bad enough that it was threatening their lives and the lives of all those that were with them, including Jesus' apparently. And the boats are filling with water faster than they can remove it. Death is a possibility here see, humans think we're immortal. We like to think of ourselves in the movies all the time where there's the hero. By the way, watch the movie San Andreas sometime. It tells you one thing, that the rock, if he's your dad, you will survive. We always like to think that we're the rock's children, or we're the rock, or we're some other heroine or hero in the movie because they always survive. Everybody else lays waste and is done and dying and everything else. But we stand victorious and are able to walk out of this thing you know, to the tune of some great awesome song in the end with the credits rolling. We make it. We always think we're immortal. But there are events and circumstances that will always wake us from that delusion and remind us that we are always on the edge. We are always on the edge of either dying or not dying. And it's just a very slim margin. It lets us know that we're ultimately not in control. Circumstances, stuff happens that demonstrate that we are really not the center of our constellation. We are not the center of the universe. We are not in control of our own destiny. At times, it seems you never know when we're going to go out into the highway and get hit by a car, or just narrowly miss it. We are not in control. You see, this storm is a common occurrence, something that they couldn't control. While it always happens, they just have—they're at the whim of nature in this moment. And no amount of experience or skill can overcome that force. Sometimes you just make it by the skin of your teeth. Yeah, they bailed water. Yeah, they did everything they knew how to do. But sometimes, you just can't get past the circumstance. And they face their own mortality. And they face their lack of control. It's a humbling and a fear-inducing reality. But fear often leads to lack of trust. This is what they're learning about themselves. They're mortal. They really don't have a whole lot of control. And that fear that it creates, creates faithlessness. See, fear is a natural emotional response to a perceived threat, to one's security or general well-being. Some fear is good. Some fear is good. Yes, getting on a bungee cord and jumping off, if you're afraid, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's a good fear. It often leads to appropriate caution to protect yourself or somebody else. Some fear is good. Some fear is bad. Especially if it hinders your enjoyment of life. Sometimes it is worthwhile jumping off the bridge with the bungee cord. Sometimes it is worthwhile saying no to that fear. To enjoy something that you would never have done before. That risk. Because sometimes fear, bad fear, insulates you against normal life. But here, in this instance, fear... Fear is overwhelming, an overwhelming circumstance that rips away any sense of control and then rushes them into a panic mode. And panic in the face of overwhelming odds makes us do dumb things or can immobilize us into inaction. But in this case, their fear led them to rousing a sleeping Jesus from his slumber. And they use really forceful language here. Don't you care that we are dying? Don't you care that this ship is coming apart at the seams? Don't you care that in less than 10 minutes we'll find ourselves at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee like other ships before us? How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up get up jesus we will not allow you to sleep in our boat while we are dying get up can you imagine waking up in the middle of this and seeing 12 angry frightened men panicked and looking to you for help can you imagine jesus from his perspective see panic often leads to blame in those moments of fear and those moments of scared, real fear, real mortality, real out of controlness. You're looking for help. One more person, maybe they'll help, and it's Jesus who you help. See, fear leads to faithfulness. See, this is an easy one. When Greg and I were talking on Thursday about this, when we read this story, we're like, well, didn't you know who you had in the boat? I mean, you had Jesus in the boat. Miracle baby. Man who, who makes withered hands come back to life. Little children dance again. The one who confounds the religious teachers of all. See, on this side of history, we have a 2020 view. We're like, well, duh, I know what I would have done. I've been mean, like, look, we got Jesus in the boat. We're good. Really? Would you have been like that? We have the privilege of having it written down to look backwards. But if you're in that moment, i got to tell you, I wouldn't have recognized him either. Yeah, it's true. They failed to trust in the one who'd been showing his divinity over and over. See, all that stuff, all that amazing things they had witnessed just got thrown right out. Because in the moment, in the panic, in the fear, we abandoned ship real quick. See, it's easy to trust God in the easy times. It's easy to trust God when you're watching Him from afar. It's easy when things aren't happening to you to marvel at who this amazing Jesus is. But in the midst of your own thing, the trial, the the thing that makes you face your mortality, to face your inability to control your situations, you don't recognize Him. The blinders are on. And we default to self-trust. We try to take the wheel. We try to assume control. We'd rather have God take a back seat so we can fix it ourselves. And faithlessness sometimes manifests itself in making demands with God. You get up. You do what I want you to do. You get up. I need you to bail, Jesus. I need you to get up off the seat and bail. Let's go the storm doesn't just show us who we are, but it shows us who Jesus is. And his good news for all people. It shows us that Jesus is a perplexing person of complete faith in God. Let's go back to sleeping. Have you ever seen a person who sleeps on the plane? Not just sleeps on the plane when the plane takes off, but when the plane hits that nasty turbulence, you know, the kind where they say, please put your seatbelt on, the kind where the, the flight attendants are not looking so hot either. They're looking like, oh, we're going to die. There's a guy always in or gal in the seat who is just asleep. They got the neck pillow thing, got the the thing over their face. They're fine. They're in happy land, as if the turbulence doesn't bother them whatsoever. I'm not one of those people. I'm the one gripping on the seat or the knee of my wife on the next. You know, I'm the one with maybe the cold sweat breaks out, and you can see it. I'm a bald head. Yet here's Jesus. In the wind, in the sea spray, soaking wet and sound asleep. Jesus is the perfect picture of peace amongst chaos. It's hard to fathom that kind of trust when we are most characterized by our impulses to try and save ourselves. Jesus is peaceful. We are panicked. And Jesus shows what real trust looks like. You see, Jesus knows his Father. Jesus knows who's in control. He's perplexing to us. It doesn't make sense shows here that Jesus is the power of God in the physical world. If you've ever been on a car trip with your kids, you understand what this is like. If you have ever yelled at your children in the car to quiet their yelling, this is what Jesus does. Jesus wakes up from his sleep. He goes and maybe he sits up and he doesn't just say peace, be still. We like to think that we like to think that Jesus is just you know uh, flowy hair and nice and but he, I think he woke up and went, hey, shut up, hey, you be quiet. The words peace, be still, are not just nice little things you put on your wall to remind yourself of to calm down. It's, a, it's God is yelling at the wind and the waves. It's as if God is in the driver's seat and he's turning around and he's telling the wind and the waves in the back seat to stop hitting their brother. That's the kind of feeling that you get here. Jesus is speaking of words of correction to the water and the wind that they are oppressing those made in his image. Pipe down. You're scaring them. That is what God, is. that's what Jesus is really saying here. His words are power and supernatural control over what men do not have control over. The word speaks, and all their actions that the men had failed. His word speaks, and the wind and the waves, the very things they can't control, calm down. And there is an incredible calm, it says in the Scripture. See, Jesus is the gospel in action. You see, God chooses to dwell with them in the storm. You notice He says, let's us all go across the other side. Jesus gets in a boat with them. Jesus doesn't stand on the outside and wait to watch them have their problems out in the ocean. at this point. He doesn't wait for them to have an issue and then come in and rescue them all like, the, like they should. Jesus gets in the boat with them. Jesus chooses to be where they are, to enter and to dwell in their trial, in their circumstances and in the face of their own deaths jesus is there you all know, love it. it says that savior will be called emmanuel god with us jesus is god with us in our trial and then jesus chooses to rescue them from their inescapable demise god does for them what they could not do for themselves that is the gospel jesus coming to die the death we deserve to save us from the thing that we could not save ourselves from The words from the one who spoke the worlds into existence speak rebuke and command to the water and the wind that he himself created. Jesus comes and saves us from the very thing that they could not save themselves from. So why does this matter to us? Why does it matter that they became afraid of Jesus? If you notice at the very end of it, when he says, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? They were very afraid of him. They looked at each other and said, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? You see, the gospel of Jesus is intended to be good news to us that radically changes how we see God and ourselves. If you notice here, when the calm comes and the waves die down, and it's that glassy sea with just a few boats on it, all looking at Jesus, these dumbfounded men and maybe women who were in there all staring at this one who just did the impossible. And the questions they had is, Who is this? I mean, we were just on the other side of the shore with the guy who was speaking really cool stuff and he was doing really crazy tricks and, and people were coming to life and demoniacs are free and that stuff's really cool. But who is this in my boat? Who did we wake up? And Jesus answers their questions. They asked earlier, do you care that we're dying? And Jesus says, Yes. I care. Do you care that our ship is going to sink and we're going to die? Uh huh. I do. That's why I'm with you and not back on the shore watching. I may be quiet, I may be silent, but I am very much present. See, the grace and mercy of God changes our fears so that we begin to live not fear of our death, not fear of our circumstances, not fear of being out of control, not fear of afraid of the very thing that God has come to give us, but we turn our fear and follow Him in a fear of the Lord appropriateness. Who is it we should fear? Not the circumstances and the things in our way and the storms of life, but the one who can calm them. Jesus' power over nature begins to change how they view Jesus. No longer just a miracle worker worthy of momentary amazement, no longer just a wise teacher worthy of uh, temporary respect, but now he shows himself to be the all-powerful, worthy of the fear of the Lord, very God of very God. It matters. This story matters to you tonight today because when you begin to fear God, you begin to pay attention to the way that Jesus does life, and you walk in that way. Good fear helps you walk appropriately and avoid danger. Fear of God helps you walk in a manner that pleases God. Jesus is in the boat with them. Jesus calms the storm with them. And it's supposed to change how they view Him and how they view the life they're leading. But too often the gospel of Jesus, uh, God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, does not change our fear. And it is meant to. Real faith... Real trust leads to living differently. We can no longer carry on as if nothing amazing has just happened. A real encounter of Jesus should change us. Amazing grace should wreck our world and lead us into a resurrected one. Grace and mercy of God should change how we view our mortality, our understanding of control, and the object of our fear. With our mortality, I now live because Christ died and when i die like jesus i will live again so i no longer have to fear this life and anything that comes my way whether it be a storm whether it be anything he changes me so i don't have to fear death because he is the one who has overcome it the gospel enables me to live in such a way that does not take moments for granted but looks for life looks for how he is working like amy was saying Those momentary, moment-by-moment things where God is either quiet in my boat, asleep maybe, in a sense, but He's there. Little moments of grace. Big moments of grace. And the Gospel declares that God has come to give me life. A life that reflects His goodness, aliveness, and His graciousness. This is the life He's come to give us. I don't have to fear death anymore. I can live because of Jesus in control. I no longer have to wrest control any longer from, uh, the, from God who has, who has it. I can say confidently then, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I can give up control of my out-of-control circumstances because God is with me, even when He's quiet. He's leading the way. And lastly, Fear. If God is with me. Who can be against me? What do I have to fear? Whom shall I fear? We sing that song every once in a while. Fear not the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who has the real power over life and death, says Jesus. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Where are you? If you were in this boat, would you be one who is out of control, who is afraid of your own death, who is afraid of life? Are you worried that all of your prayers are going unanswered? Are you worried that Jesus is asleep in the boat of your life and you need to wake him up quickly because apparently he has no idea what's going on? Where are you? Who are you? I dare say that Jesus wants us to get to a point like the disciples where we look at him in our circumstances and go, "Who is this? They can calm the wind and still the waters and lead me into green pastures. Who is this that I follow?" Let the gospel change you in an amazing way.